Welcome to Grails, a podcast by Alton Insights. My name is John Tunger, and on this episode, we have the Alton Insights crew, Bradley and Dylan, are hopping on the pod, and we are going to be talking about everything from market trends to asset classes that they are seeing some potential opportunities in. They just drop a ton of knowledge that really I uh, I would challenge you to find uh, better sources in the alternative investment space uh, than these guys. So enjoy this episode. It's going to be a good one. Let's get started. We are here with the Alton crew. Um, Bradley, Dylan, would love to start from a high level, talk about where we're at uh, in the market, what the heck is going on. Um, If you have been away from the scene for a while, and just hopping in, what are some important things to know? Yeah, I mean, if, if you've been away, the, the good news is you kind of missed a bloodbath. Uh, <laughs> because uh, with the end of January, that was the end of a drawdown that basically lasted, you know, th- three to four months. Uh, and for like the flagship index, the Alton Insights 100, uh, from peak to trough, that was a 15% decline. So mm-hmm. it had been... Um, some a challenging environment for for quite a while, but uh, in February it seems we turned a little bit of a corner. Uh, index performance was up. That's not true for every category, but we saw a lot of buyout activity come in from outside the space. I think there were twelve offers in in February, uh, eleven of which were in sports cards and sports memorabilia. And wow. you know we've seen that give some stability to markets and and kind of ground them more in in reality and. Uh, stop some of kind of the irrational sell-offs that happen. So uh, we're finding more stable footing as we uh, kind of are, are a little over midway through the first quarter. Is that just the market balancing out? And like now it's kind of like things hit such a level where, because you guys were kind of saying before the show, it's buyout season, right? So is it sort of like, okay, things have gone so low now that people are like, let's start buying these assets off the platforms because it's just in that point. What, what do you think is, is causing this turnaround? I, th- I think that's part of it. I don't think it's as bad as we saw with comic books over the summer where, so last spring, it was like every single time a comic book opened for trading on rally, it would just like drop 30 to 40% right. basically for no, re- no reason whatsoever. And so this summer you had like double digit buyout officer offers of, you know, returns that looked good over the last trade, but maybe not as good since IPO. And it was bargain shopping for, right. you know, a lot of ways. And comic collectors were going, boom, buy it up, buy it up, buy exactly. it up. Exactly. And I think there's instances of that where uh, people are finding attractive opportunities in fractional that they might not find elsewhere, but it's not as pronounced. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bradley, anything to add with that? Yeah, I, I would just say too, I think this is a time where it's becoming more and more important to, really know what you're investing in and do your research. That's why I think, you know, we've expanded some of our content out because it's kind of similar even to the stock market. There have been years where it's like you could invest in anything and you're making money and you don't really have to think about it. And, you know, all of tech Mm -hmm. is up and it's all you have to do where then the market gets, you know, it probably is a good thing that it stabilizes a little bit and it doesn't become quite as easy, but that's what's happened. And now you really have to pick and choose um, what you're throwing your money at and, and follow the trends that we're definitely noticing and that we put out. So specific assets, we talked about comics, um, 
you know, is there like something certain or a specific uh, asset class that you guys are looking at right now that it's like interesting to see how it turned a corner or um, yeah, just the performance kind of piques your interest. One thing that's interesting to note, I think is, you know, we, we, we just released a report on, on kind of the Alton Insights 100 performance today. Uh, and 18, the, the first 18 top performers of the hundred, you know, in the index were sports cards and sports memorabilia. Yeah. And hmm. yeah, still eight, driving the market, still driving the market to a huge extent. I mean, I think together, uh, those two asset classes make up over 60% of the index still. And it makes sense. Sports, sports cards really kind of, uh, led so much of the growth in this space for so long. Um, and then on, on the flip side, you have sports memorabilia, which has been incredibly volatile. Uh, Bradley does trades and trends, and, and I see it in, in my index reports as well. Like It's so frequently the case that you'll see memorabilia assets that are amongst the bottom performers one mm. week or one month that then become the top performers in the next week because basically they sell off for little little reason in the absence of comps. What? And, and why... We, is that just like we just don't know that is like not enough liquidity what why would all of a sudden those like it just sounds like a volatile market there um yeah what would be the reason for that i think it's a it's a dearth of data points and very relevant data points relative to cards you know in cards for a lot of the assets that we see on fractional you get um data points that are either directly relevant or tangentially relevant Right. With with decent frequency, right. in memorabilia, I think the fractional world's still trying to wrap their heads around how, how to value these items, um, how right. to draw comparisons to ones that do sell at auction, because right. you know no two memorabilia items are alike. And I think um, you know that's it's kind of an area where you see the the lack of you know great liquidity uh, drive results quite a bit. Yeah, and what you're kind of meaning by that is like, hey, when it comes to sports cards. Um, there's a lot of one ones maybe being sold, whether that be on eBay, in an auction, on Golden Heritage, uh, you know, or um, you know, say there's a Joe Burrow one of one that is sold. Even that gives you an indicator of maybe how you should value a Justin Herbert, right? So there's multiple things to reflect things off of. But for memorabilia, it's sort of like ah, uh, yeah. How do you what do you relate that to? So it's just kind of more the Wild West. Is that am I hearing that right? Yeah, it's, it's, you have to, there's kind of more triangulation you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Good word. And it's, it's easier to draw a line between kind of two points in, in the card world, especially like, you know, you can look at trends and you can see like, when was this card offered? How have comparable cards of that player at that kind of, um, at the high end of the market or, or wherever it may sit, how, how have those done? And yeah. then you can kind of extrapolate harder to do in memorabilia. And, and I'm sure, um, I'm sure Bradley has some, some interesting perspectives on that as well. I'd like to hear his take. Yeah. What do you think of Bradley? No, I think, I mean, it is, it is interesting to see. And it's, we're seeing records in some of that sports memorabilia world as well. Um, you know, just, we put out some coverage of the heritage auction, just announced a partnership with them and just had a Mickey Mantle Jersey sell for over $2 million. Um, the first multi-million to come out of, that auction and that's a jersey that had sold um three different times that that, this is the third time the the same exact jersey um same exact jersey what's interesting is so when the jersey sold the last two times it was known to be the jersey that he hit his 535th home run Mm. in 
Um, and then this time around, there was some more information that came out, some more photo matching occurred, and they found that it's actually the last jersey that he wore um, as a New York Yankee. And that's, you know, immediately then we saw the increase in valuation as it jumped over 100% based on its <laughs> last sale in 2020. And, and so, you know, when you see something that's a big deal right now is photo matching. I think it was maybe a little underestimated Right. Early Imagine on, being the uh, guy who owned that jersey beforehand, sold it, and we're like, "Wait, I actually had the one that was his last game." Like, what? Uh, You'd be so so tilted. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm at a point now, like I'm almost surprised to see anything out there that isn't photo match. Like, I think you need to be, hmm. if you have anything of value that's game used, game worn, try to find somebody that can match it to somewhere because it's just a matter of time. As technology continues to develop. Um, another example, we had a, a Ted Williams bat that just broke the record for any piece of Ted Williams memorabilia, 336000 That's a big sale for a bat that comes from his 1947 Triple Crown season. And I, I think that there are just so many opportunities in this market that are still pretty untapped. And, and there's going to be advancements in things like photo matching um, and other technologies that pieces of memorabilia that aren't photo matched or that they're not able to deliver a conclusive conclusion on, I think are, we're going to start to see a, a huge separation and those assets are going to lag a lot. Wow. And then you said that we've talked about, we, you, uh, we've been hitting other records and you were even talking about uh, some surprising ones when it comes to like things like football. Talk, talk about that. I, cause I love, I love my football cards. I got to know. Yeah, so an interesting sale. Um, it's something that I always find to be you know, football wax. I don't think it's anywhere near enough credit. And Heritage struck a, a price of $186,000 for a 1956 Topps um, sealed box of football cards. Right, sealed and box that, equals wax if, if you don't know. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and <laughs> good clarification. And it, it's interesting to me because um, – you know, Vintage cards in particular with football cards, you just don't see any value coming out of those. You have some players that pop up in, in the 50s. Bart Starr is probably the, the one that comes to mind first and foremost. Um, we've seen some Johnny Unitas memorabilia. His cards are out there, but they definitely uh, lag behind the market. But to see a sale like that for you know some sealed wax of vintage football cards, and in particular really that pre 70s 80s where we started to see uh, we started to see like uh, football cards grow and develop and then they run into the junk wax era where that pushes down values but that's really where some of your early bigger name players come from um, it's interesting to see uh, a box from that era sell for over 150,000 which was a huge sale right. and where there's still opportunity I, I think you know individual cards um, obviously still provide value but there's no question that uh, football and, and wax in general is continuing to to hold pace with individual cards. Um, I would just love to see a sale of the highest graded Jim Brown uh, <laughs> rookie because I think that's that that's the best looking vintage football card, but best looking kind of maybe most significant highest potential for to put up a big number. So yeah. I'm waiting for that to happen. Um, I love. Uh... I think the more the assets that I am just getting interested in, what I find myself looking up just naturally is comics. Um, so I'd be curious. You mentioned earlier in the episode that hey, in the, in the summer, comics were just getting hit down. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, we're seeing people scoop up value. What are some things that we're seeing now? Um, Cause I feel like it's, they've been continually on the rise. Yeah. So you'll like this. Uh, you'll like this stat actually. So this was as of the end of January uh, from June until the end of January. Uh, just the change in the number of assets trading on fractional platforms by category. Okay. All of them are either up or flat. So for example, like sports cards, the number of assets is up 76% over that period. Uh, sports memorabilia up 68%. The amount of comic books trading since June 30th, 2021 is down 17%. So the supply wow. was bought out like crazy and hasn't really been replaced certainly hasn't been replaced you know with the same level of grails that got bought out uh, and that seems to have played a role in the performance because if you look at you know year-to-date returns comic books are the highest performing asset class this year uh, by basically any measure if you look at the, our our fractional comic index it's the highest performing you know, asset class index it has the high, highest 2020 average roi among assets wow so um, they continue to be really highly sought after and i think the data points coming from outside of fractional continue to be very supportive as well wow bradley anything on that comics yeah, I think looking at comics, obviously the big news uh, with Rally is they'll be dropping at one point eight million dollar copy of a uh, Batman number one. So it's from so sick. It looks so good. It, it's that is, and it's so great to see these comics coming back. I think you know we see we see or read some of the talk in our Discord, and there's definitely some people that have buyer's remorse, and I don't even think it has to do as much with. I shouldn't say that. It definitely has to do with the amount that they're seeing some of these sell for now. But I think even right. more so, it's just like when you look at the lineup of, especially in hindsight, the comic books that were on that platform. Um, and, and then you just think like, well, now, you know, they're all gone and you're seeing them pop up at auction. And it doesn't help now that Golden's in the auction be business with comic books because you're seeing even more of them all the uh, coming yeah. up. But like, you know, from Incredible Hulk to some of the early Supermans, Avengers number one, uh, it's just wild to me that so many of those were dumped and people took advantage and now sales have you know maintained at, at a pretty uh, steady pace we've seen some dipping but for the most part uh they've really held up well and we get another incredible comic coming to to rally so that's that's really exciting people are going to be shocked one day when they like look back at the stuff that was originally on the platform. Cause yeah. it was like a murderer's row, you know, X-Men number one, Avengers number one, journey into mystery, 83, incredible Hulk, number one, incredible Hulk, 181, daredevil, like teenage mutant Ninja turtles before it absolutely exploded because it has absolutely exploded recently. It's just like an insane assortment of stuff. And I'm sure that, you know, we'll, we'll get back to a, a great assortment over time, but man, those were some, uh, those were about as blue chip as it gets. Right. Like you almost could have bundled a nice little blue chip, like index fund of all those comics on rally. And it would have been, you know, I mean, it was, that's what you would make it up of. Um, and now you're going to see those values continue to just go crazy. Um, it's just such a sweet combination of like art and scarcity, but it's like bigger than a sports card. Um, I think will on the rally, uh, Instagram or something like was just holding like the Batman number one. And I was like, man, that just looks so good. Like I could hang that on a wall right behind me here. And it's like, it would just be like a piece of art. That's why I think there's just a value there that um, as people more get into it, people will attribute so to comics. What do you think of uh, the, the kind of burgeoning trend then of uh, 
Sports Illustrated's old vintage Sports Illustrated's kind of becoming more collectible now. There was like a huge right. um, sale at Heritage, tens of thousands of dollars for uh, Gretzky's appearance, first appearance on there. Yeah, I like like stuff like that, like video games, yeah. like even like just uh, video game art. I mean, like things like that that are actually bigger and more relatable to like the art factor. Um, and this is more, this is totally qualitative, right? Like this is if I'm developing a thesis on this stuff in the future, it's I. One of the you know first reasons why I dove back into a lot of this stuff was the classic Gary V argument of like, hey, the people you know now that have been a part of the largest creation of wealth are people that you know have the nostalgia of all this kind of stuff, right? And they don't care about getting a nice fancy piece of art; they want stuff like this, right? So I still love that thesis piece, but at the end of the day, like I've got sports cards behind me here, and it's like it's kind of hard to portray those in your house. Right. Um, but I think like comics, sports illustrated, uh, comic, uh, video game art, like all that kind of stuff, comic book art kind of is more one-to-one with that classic art narrative that I think will, will give it some value. Like if we're looking in like a 10 year long thesis here, um, cause like just from myself, and I think this is an investing edge. If you think of like just things that you naturally think of, I'm like, oh yeah, I would love to get one of those and hang it on my wall. And like, I might be able to justify that with my wife. So it works. Right. <laughs> yeah. If there's, if there is like some actual like artistic angle that can go, that can go a long way. I think uh, in, in the justification realm. Right. Like that Batman number one, <laughs> the colors, it's just sick. Um, I'm curious to talk about, cause it seems like it's uh, there's been some blood in the, in the NFT streets. And so how that relates to fractional, um, I mean, man, it really ratcheted up there quick where we have a lot of board apes. We have a lot of different NFTs available across some of the different platforms. Um, what are we, what are we seeing in that, uh, sphere? Yeah. The, the fractional NFT space was kind of bizarro land at the start of 2022, because obviously January was, uh, it was kind of a disaster for crypto. You know, you had, uh, ETH was down over 20%. You know, and a lot of the um, floor prices for the projects represented fractionally in USD terms were, were down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And and because on fractional platforms, you know, these these NFTs are denominated in USD, that that should matter. Uh, in January, it, it didn't like right. pretty much at all. Like our our NFT index was only down one percent. Right. You know, against the backdrop of a much more challenging uh, environment, and that caught up. Uh, quite a bit in in February, um, you know, where I think you saw uh, our index was down over eight percent in February. So you started to see like uh, people kind of snap back to reality of you know what's changed in the space. You need to be thinking about the value of ETH. Need to be thinking about how the floor prices are changing. You know, crypto punks were among kind of the earliest, most well represented on fractional, yeah. and they obviously haven't fared as well as as bored apes. But you know, taking a step back. You know, I think you're seeing that uh, certainly with Rally, there there are a lot more NFTs coming down the pike, and, and there's a very clear reason for that, which is uh, there's demand for it. Uh, people see these projects, they and they they view the opportunity to get exposure as as you know a, a great opportunity, um, or at least one that they wouldn't otherwise have. And I think it's bringing new users onto the platform. And mm-hmm. I think once those pl- users are on the platform, they're investigating the other asset classes that are there. So. You know, as I think many businesses are are discovering and, and you know, kind of trying to make a part of their efforts now, Web three NFTs are huge areas of, of growth for better or worse, and and there's uh, there are ways to to capitalize on that. And uh, 
I think it could be a big contributor contributor to growth in the fractional space over time. Yeah. Bradley, any notes on NFTs? Yeah, I think that you know, it's interesting to see how we're still in that stage with NFTs, clearly, where people are kind of just throwing everything they can at the board and hoping something sticks, right? I mean, I, yeah. I think if you ask anybody at this point, there's pretty mutual agreement that crypto punks and board apes and, and are probably, you know, going to, if NFTs are still around and let's say five, 10 years, which they will be, and there'll be much more, there'll be much more utility attached. But in terms of like these NFTs that, you know, really lack some of that utility, uh, I think when we look at the ones that will last, those are just some of the names. And then you have, you know, a few other projects popping up that are starting to come onto fractional platforms and reception seems to be mixed. Uh, people aren't jumping up and down. And even some of the later ones that came in at, you know, valuations that maybe were a little higher. Rally has a crypto punk right now that's down uh, 22%. Otis's second punk is down about 31%. Meanwhile, they both have punks that are up, uh, you know, over 100% on their platform as well. So it just comes down to, and, right. and the markets are being, it's tough to say this, but uh, they're actually acting the way they should in a way where there's not just running wild anymore. You know, they're not outpacing what we see on the floor. Uh, it sounds crazy to say that just because of how crazy some of these NFTs are and the fact that they carry the value that they do, but the market is acting relatively efficient um, considering how new this space is already. And I just think to really see these take off and, and develop as an asset class, we need to narrow down, okay, these are actually valuable. You know, these are valuable because they have some utility attached. These are valuable because people view them as art. Um, and we're not there yet. Right. For sure. Right. We also, we also need to see for a lot of these PFP projects, like a long-term thesis that isn't like, Oh, this could be Disney. Right. It's like how many, <laughs> it's not. It's like how many of these not, are gonna you know. be Disney? Yeah. Like are you guys familiar with Disney? Like dude <laughs> right. didn't happen overnight. And like certainly like no, I'm not gonna say certainly, but probably like some will will emerge and become major franchises, uh, you know, across across different you know, kind of venues of entertainment, but it can't be used as the thesis for everyone. So so there's some maturation that needs to come into play there but but to bradley's point we're not seeing people just throw money as indiscriminately at an asset class uh, i think you saw that with video games in kind of the mid to late stages of last year which yep. has um which has you know induced some pain for for some investors i think because that got out of hand right. um so maybe some some maturation happening yeah, I wonder with video games if we see some some of the things that happen with comics where all of a sudden they like dip to a level where you can go and uh, snatch up some value. Um, I, I think there's some play, not formal financial advice, but like I think we talked about this on Twitter of the, uh, uh, you know, relating what we see with sports cards and the first time that athletes show up on video games. I think there's st still some plays that, um, you know, that people haven't really tapped into. Interesting note on that. There was a state of the um, state of the video game market um, kind of seminar, if you will, from Heritage last week, and I think there is a sport-specific video game auction coming there ah, later this year. Um, so I'm not sure exactly where when that is, but I do believe I heard that, and that would make sense. Uh, 
the results first in sports games right out of the gate this year have been among the strongest. The Madden game, obviously, right. bringing in several several hundred thousand dollars. NBA Jam setting a record. Right. Um, huge result for Tech Mobile. So uh, it seems like it's starting to play out. I think a fun way to uh, like last subject to end it end this with it would be um, some of the more fringe assets. So you know, I mean, you even said yourself, right? Sports cards memorabilia make up 60% of our indexes. Right. So, but, but a lot of the, you know, in the original thesis with these fractional platforms is things with like rare cars, books, watches, purses, right? Like a lot of stuff that we, that don't really get a lot of airtime. Um, I'd be curious if you're seeing anything within those different, uh, classes that maybe don't get all the hype dinosaur bones, right? <laughs> yeah. Books are getting throttled so far this year. Uh, what do you mean by that? That might they're, they are the second worst performing asset class thus far this year. You've seen a lot of kind of blood in the streets on a lot of offerings, um, particularly those that have started to trade in recent months. The, the returns for those are, are pretty brutal. Uh, you could point to a few things. You could point to either uh, people taking issue with the valuation at IPO or it kind of becomes that, that same issue we were talking about earlier and, and you know, memorabilia where it's just like hard to, hard to triangulate, you know, a, a current value on them. And yep. I think there, there is with IPOs across most categories, there's some buyer's remorse when an asset opens for trading. People are like, eh, I invest in this. Like, eh, I don't know if I really care about it that much long-term and they had for the exits. This might take some clicking around, but has there been a buyout of a, of a book? There has not, uh, not even an offer to my, to my really? knowledge. Yeah. Interesting. It is. Yeah. And, um, it, it's an area where there's certainly some assets in there that are like, you could very easily see drawing the attention. Of, right. First edition Harry Potter. Like, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's an asset that has been, you know, quite challenged after you know it was kind of among the hotter performing book assets and and has very much so come down to earth despite the fact that you know auction results there are are holding up really well i mean actually i'm looking at the chart right now um it's probably about it's about a third off of its peak price right now wow so yeah so it's uh some steam has come out of the market there and, and books performed really well for a while no mas yeah the no offers and no buyouts is really like i don't know i can't tell if that's like uh hold on that's a signal for like appetite in the market in general or like hey that that's maybe opportunity could later come down the pipe if that's something that's interesting that's uh yeah it makes me think yeah, definitely. And one thing we've seen too, uh, another asset class that hasn't had anything is wine. Um, mm. That's one that is probably a little more of, I think, a long term. The books are as well, but I think wine is definitely one that I wouldn't expect much initially uh, to come out. But it's, it, wine is interesting because a lot of the wines are doing very well. Uh, we're seeing, you know, some of the wines from Burgundy, uh, Bordeaux, California. Uh, some of the areas that are represented by platforms such as Rally and then Vint as well. And we haven't had an offer yet, which, you know, some of those wines are definitely trading under value. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if, you know, either those values catch up or if the wine market, because the wine market's interesting because there are markets in place. You have um, a pretty active market over at LiveX. There's also a, a number of other merchant to broker platforms. And so, 
it will be interesting to see if those platforms recognize or people on those platforms recognize, hey, there's, you know, cases of wines um, over on some of these fractional platforms and this is how it works. And we can maybe run a buyout. Another area that's interesting, I think, especially as we look ahead to Q2 and later on the spring is there's some really impressive art sales that are going to occur. Um, mm. Phillips just had a Basquiat Coast sign that's probably going to push at least 50, if not 70 million. Um, and then Christie's has a big auction in May that they, I, I saw they just pulled in a Van Gogh that'll push around 50 million. So there's going to be some sales that are definitely going to make headlines. We know that Masterworks loves uh, the Basquiat's and, and some of the other artists, but we haven't seen like much in terms of some of the um, older styles like a Van Gogh yet pop up. So as some of those start to gain headlines, wouldn't be surprised um, if at some point, whether it's Masterworks or if, you know, art reappears at another platform someday, we, we do see a shift towards some of these works that, you know, still capture a significant amount of attention from, especially some of the Asian markets have uh, been grabbing um, up recently, a lot of some of these more famous and timely works. So just to end it here, uh, since last time you guys have been on, obviously Alton, we've made a ton of new developments. Um, if you're listening to this when your first time listening to Grails, obviously we talk about the market, um, but with Alton, we want to make you uh, better uh, investors when it comes to the alternative asset space, right? Where there's not a ton of knowledge, you can find a lot of arbitrage if you have good data. And so uh, we've released this platform um, that has a lot of information on all the assets across different platforms. Um, Bradley Dillon, what are some newer stuff that we've added there? Have you guys been using the tool as, you know, you've been using it yourselves uh, as users, <laughs> as part of the Alton team itself. So uh, talk a bit about the platform for people that might not know um, what's been going on. I've been, I've been using the platform like I've used it like 10 times since we've been talking just now. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, all the stuff you've been saying, Potter. it's all in there. It, pretty much. I've been pulling up the Harry Potter chart, um, the price chart. There's no price chart on, on Rally at present. So uh, we're kind of plugging a gap there. Uh, you asked a question about buyout offers. Has there been one for a book? Uh, new addition to our platform is a buyout history. So you can find mm. every buyout offer that's been tabled to date, You know whether it's been accepted or not, uh, what the percent approval was, what the returns were on that. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a whole host of, of kind of other upgrades we've made to help you manage your portfolio on a, on a day-to-day basis. So, uh, you know, definitely recommend it. I also, you know, called out trades and trends, which Bradley puts out every weekend, mm-hmm. uh, summarizing the activity from the prior week. And if you follow those, like opportunities become pretty clear and patterns reveal themselves pretty frequently. So, uh, you know, easy place to go to identify, you know, trading opportunities for the week ahead. Right. Yeah. Arbitrage opportunities definitely exist. If you just actually like, you know, anywhere where there's not super clear data. Um, and so, yeah, Bradley, Dylan, both you guys write stuff. That's just super underrated. Like you guys got to go on and and read this stuff because there's opportunities to be found. Hashtag not sponsored. (laughs) 